Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and non-binary friends. Welcome to another episode of Actors with Issues. As always, I am your host, Juan Ayala. Today's guest is a French-American actor who you have seen in series like The Deuce, Tell Me a Story, and the Emmy-winning limited series Mayor of Easttown on HBO Max, as well as the upcoming feature film All's Well. Please welcome Miss Mackenzie Lansing. Welcome to Actors with Issues. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Uh, so we're going to get started with a game called Getting to Know You. We're going to put 60 seconds on the clock and see how many of these rapid fire questions you can get through, uh, starting with coffee or tea? Tea. Drama or comedy? Comedy. Hero or villain? Villain, definitely. Stage acting or screen acting? Screen acting. Film or television? Television. What's a movie that never fails to make you cry? Uh, up. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, in a movie that never fails to make you laugh. Um, superstar. Who is your Who is your dream director? Oof. Um, Albert Dupontel. He's a French director. Who is your dream co-star? Francis McDormand. Uh, yeah. Uh, do you have a secret talent? Do I have a secret talent? Uh, I can make my own clothes. Oh, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> if you could guest star on any TV show, which would you choose? Oh, that's so hard. Uh, I don't know. Pass. <laughs> uh, so that was actually time. Uh, okay. So this uh, last question, we always end with this one. Describe your most memorable audition in three words. And memorable can mean good or bad. So that's up to you. Sure. Walked into closet. <laughs> okay, we'll leave, we'll let the audience exited imagine. Exited into closet is more specific, I guess. Exited <laughs> into closet. <laughs> so Mackenzie, you uh, you mentioned before that you grew up mainly in France, and you that's not something that I come across a lot with um, <laughs> most of the international actors. I, international is like Canada. That's like about the extent <laughs> of what I get. Um, but what was that whole experience like for you? Did you grow up for a love of film and that's how you got started acting or was it um, theater? Like how did that whole acting journey start for you? Oh, I was just awkward and didn't have any friends. So my parents thought drama might help. <laughs> you too. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it really wasn't like they noticed that I was talented. I couldn't sing or dance and I was a chubby kid. There was no indication that this was going to be my career. It just so happened that I like um became obsessed with it and when was it that you made the decision like i want to pursue this as a career it's more than just the love it's like this burning passion that i have to do this i don't really know when it transitioned because i think that there's like i think for a lot of our lives as actors we're sort of telling ourselves that we're going to do this and sometimes i think that shift happens very young when you're like no this is going to happen mm. Um, it doesn't have to be that like anything changes. It's just something in your mindset changes. When I first decided that I wanted to be a professional actor, I was 10 years old and I went to a horrible, horrible production of like the Prince of Egypt. It was really bad, but I'd never <laughs> seen a play before. Uh. So I like thought it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. And I really wanted to be the Prince of Egypt. And everybody was like, no, you'd have to be the girl. And I was like, fuck that. I don't want to be the girl. I want to be the prince. Um, so anyway, that was the first time I decided I wanted to be an actor. And when did you find yourself sort of starting to because i know like 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 you said it sort of happens throughout our career we're often telling ourselves like it's going to happen now i'm gonna like first like this is it i'm serious like it happens so many times um when did you feel like 
okay, I'm at a place where realistically in the business mindset, I can pursue this as a career. Like everything that has to be in place is there. I think that actually nothing was going my way when that happened, because I think that it's not necessarily like you book a role and then that happens because there are people who have made it, who don't feel like they've made it because that means something different to everyone. For me, my big shift was actually, I was trying so hard. And it's when I was like, I don't care what the, it was my coming out. When I came out, Mm. that was when I was doing it for me and I didn't care what anyone thought anymore. And that was a game changer. And with, um, I, we can move on to, to Mary of Easttown. Um, incredible show, incredible performance. I always know that when I dislike a character, I'm like, oh, that's an amazing actor. So what was your audition experience like for the show? And is there a particular moment that stands out to you while you're working on the show? Like anything particularly memorable? I mean, there's so much memorable stuff. It was a long process and it was an amazing process. And I was very lucky that I got a lot of, spend a lot of time with Kate and she had so much great advice for me. And so I was just like soaking up everything I could. (laughs) Yeah, just, she's such a warm person and she gave me a lot of advice, but she also shared a lot about her life. But in the audition process, um, I think that like, I I knew when I read those sides that there was a way to play mean, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And Um, for me, it was like, I was a temperamental teenager. So it was like tapping into that part of myself to make it authentic being like, oh, I know who this is. I know this girl. But I think when I read those sides, I was like, oh, this is mine, which doesn't happen very often. But I think sometimes you just know that you're like, oh, I can do this Uh better than anyone else can. Uh, that sounds really cocky. I just mean like, (laughs) I was in a lot of fights as a teenager. So I feel like I related to her maybe Uh quicker than it might've taken someone else. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Cause a lot of times with characters, like that most people live i mean i did not get into fights at all like if there was a character that did that i would be able it's an actor's job to relate as much of themselves into the role as possible and then build from there and that's incredible that you felt that reading the sides that you could like already sort of put together who this character is from your own experiences because that's the goal and that that's great I, I love that you had that experience and i mean again it shows in your performance i bet you could play a bully i mean this is what you were saying but because like even though you were like on the other end of it like right when you're being bullied especially for being queer like you're you think that there's something wrong with you so i think you spend so much time like i don't know if you can relate to this or not but like psychoanalyzing the other person mm-hmm. being like or, like you know what i mean worrying about them unfortunately which is not how it should be but like I don't know, this might be really messed up what I'm saying, but I guess like the one silver lining is that like you could you could probably play both sides of that because you can kind of see, I don't know if what I'm saying is clear. <laughs> no, no, I totally, I totally agree. And um, I mean, as someone who was closeted for the first 24 years of his life, um, playing the closeted characters as well, or the closeted or just the straight characters, like, well, I was straight for most of my life anyway, so why can't I just play, <laughs> you know, the whole ridiculous mindset of like, gay you know gay or queer actors can't pull off straight characters it's like well says who well then it's like what but straight people can play us like right like and win all the awards and win all the awards like oh that's so brave oh my gosh there's this uh tiktok about um it's like an impression of somebody it's like if gay actors talked about playing straight actors the way straight actors play anyway you should watch it (laughs) like oh i found this really cute quirk about them i was like studying all these straight people because i have lots of straight friends you know and a crazy thing (laughs) they actually drink hot coffee um yeah (laughs) i love i'll definitely uh look for that um so with mayor of easttown like many shows you guys had to unfortunately shut down mid-production because of the pandemic um thankfully everything worked out and you know, the show was eventually able to finish, but what was it like 
going back to the show after so much time off. I remember the day that thing shut down in New York, like clear as day. It was like mm-hmm. March, I think, 12th or something. And I was on set. I was working as a stand-in on a show. And they, like, after lunch, they were like, hey, guys, we're shutting down immediately. It was a Shonda Rhyme show that's about to come out. Um, and yeah, it was scary because we there were like rumors of of the pandemic swirling, first cases in the U.S. Broadway had just closed the day before, and then the next day, TV was like out. So, yeah. what was that like for you? I like uh, I had um, a big gap in between my scenes, so I had shot a bunch of stuff, and I had like a three week gap when like COVID sort of really started swelling and all mm-hmm. that. And then uh, we were supposed to pick up again, and during that gap. Um, like they shut down production and I was selfishly very upset because I was like, okay, I finally booked something like this. And now they might be like putting it into the show. But Kate uh, sent a really beautiful email to everyone that was like, this is my baby. We are going to finish this project. If it kills us, like it's, we're going to do it. So uh, yeah, by the, by the time we got back, I think there was just a sense of community. Everybody had been through something, you know? Yeah. And I mean, and by the end of it, again, you guys have like this Emmy winning, critically acclaimed show. So, I mean, it all worked out in the best. Do you, I'm, I'm curious, do you think that there were changes made to the scripts to sort of minimize how many people were like on a set? Oh, yeah. During that gap? Uh, yeah, there was a, a scene that I think was cut. And then they changed sets for a few things. I can't remember exactly what scenes. And then I know that for scenes that required extras, they actually they either found a way to not have any, or like that scene where I get arrested in the restaurant. Mm. Everybody who's sitting there who's an extra is like a PA or a cameraman. So they didn't have, you know, so that they didn't have to have more bodies uh-huh. in the room. Kind of thing. Uh, and it was just crazy. Like they had to wear their masks the entire time and then only take it off like right before, you know, they called uh, rolling and yeah. all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I worked in a show earlier this year where the pandemic was written into the season. So I was like a masked reporter. And it's just so strange. Like it's, you know, we watch TV and all of in film and all of that to like escape for like a sense of escapism from reality. And you're seeing it on (laughs) and then you book something and it happens to be like that takes place in the pandemic. And it's just so interesting how so much changed, whether it was like in the story or at least sort of behind the scenes, like you said, like you know, the stand-ins were doubling up as background or something to just, yeah. like you said, minimize how many people were on set because it, it's still such a scary time to to be an actor with all that going on still. Yeah, it's interesting that they had to make that choice for all these shows. Like, are we going to ignore the pandemic or are we going to like incorporate it in the show? Yeah. Um, it was interesting to watch. And it works better for some shows than others. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I won't give, I won't name names. Um, but there's one particular show that made it like a focal point. And by the end of it, I'm like unresolved. It's just, uh, it's just like, it's like whispers of the, of the pandemic throughout the whole season. And then I'm like, eh, by the end of it, I'm just like, they didn't do anything with it really. Yeah. It's almost worse than like, you know, than just not addressing it. If you just kind of like mention it casually. Right. Uh, so when it comes to, so a question that I like to ask a lot on the show is about, um, misconceptions and things that you knew that, you know, now you wish you learned earlier in your career and you gave really interesting responses for both. So I want to get into both of them. Um, when it comes to misconceptions, cause there's so much misinformation out there. Everyone thinks that they know something about Hollywood and you know, 
whatever level of experience uh, an actor has, they think they've got something new to share. Um, <laughs> I hope that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because your yours is like up to date experience. I hate dated information from right, actors. You. you know, they were an actor twenty years ago and they're a coach now, and it's like, oh well, you've you know, streaming didn't exist when you know, just all these yeah. new things. It's like all, none of this stuff existed when you were so you know, but. Um, when it comes to those misconceptions, what is something that comes to mind as like something that eventually was like debunked for you or you realize just total BS over the years? Oh my God. So many things. So many things. Um, the biggest one for me that I think I like lightly touched on earlier is type. Mm. Um, type is not a thing. It shouldn't. And if other people think it's a thing, it's none of your business to figure out what it is because the way one person views you is not the way another person going to view you. You know, it's like when you're dating, like different people get different impressions of you. And it's kind of like not your responsibility to worry about that. Um, you shouldn't worry about, you shouldn't worry about figuring out what your type is and what you shouldn't worry about even more is trying to fit into a box. Um, there is a business side to all of this, but um, destroying who you are is not one of them mm. you know that's just gonna make you uh you're gonna you're gonna run out of like energy you're not gonna be able to pretend to be someone for that long and this like applies to everything whether it's your look the way you talk what kind of roles you go out for like you should be going out for the roles that you that excite you not that you think are going to help you make it whatever that means you know like mm. i used to i auditioned i went to the last round of audition for blues clues for the replacement for that guy um, like if I had booked that, yes, I would be loaded, but my career would be very, very different. <laughs> There's no way I would have been able to do Mayor of Easttown if I was the Blues Clues girl, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just like what passes you is not for you. And you need to be really honest with yourself about what it is that you actually want, not what your family is going to be proud of, what it is that you really want. Um, and that takes a lot of self-reflection. I love that. What passes for you is not for you because, you know, we, mind you, I, I, on the podcast we're like 75 episodes into the show now and like through the last year and a half of doing the show you know i've given advice or just sort of um insight into how i process things and when auditions were in person back when if we can remember um <laughs> you know i would leave the audition the the building where the audition took place and i would like rip up my sides and throw them into yeah. the nearest trash can now that I'm home, it's so hard to just like physically be able to like to have that physical gesture behind it and like be but, able to like toss things. It's so it's gotten a little trickier for me to let go of like every role that comes my way because I'm like, oh, if I book this would be awesome, you know, just build up my credits, blah, blah, blah. But like it's on your phone, right? And yeah, it's on my phone. It's on my computer. Right. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you brought that up. Oh my God. So I coach, uh, and that's one of the things that I teach all the time is rip up your sides. Don't keep your freaking sides. Like, or, and like, don't think about what you could have done differently. Like you think you're helping yourself, but you're just beating yourself up and it's, it's not healthy. I'm going to start experimenting with, okay, the, don't, this isn't, nobody actually do this at home, but I kind of want to start burning them because I'm like, I can't really rip them up. So what if I burnt them? Like, that'd be kind of fun. Like in a, you know, outside or I don't know, in a metal container yeah. or something. But I think there's something, one of my mentors too used to talk about, there's something very ceremonious about, yeah, ripping your sides up and accepting that that is gone now and you're not going to think about it anymore, mm. you know? Maybe I'll just like delete the email or delete screenshots or whatever, you know, just like delete any yeah. history and, you know, they'll resend it if they have to. Absolutely. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying today's episode so far, please do us a big favor and subscribe to the podcast wherever it is that you're listening and leave us a rating and review. You can also head over to Instagram and give us a follow at Actors With Issues. Believe me, reviews, ratings, and follows really help us out and get our show out there to help more people, actors and artists who are looking for advice from professional working actors. Be sure to also share the podcast with any of your friends and family that you think would enjoy the show. As always, thank you for all of your support. Now, let's get back to the show. When it comes to something you know now, I mean, it, the, the answers might cross over at this point, but um, when it comes to things you know now that you wish you'd learned earlier in, in your career, what comes to mind? You should enjoy auditioning. If you don't enjoy it, you're not doing it right. Um, and that takes time. Like, I did not enjoy it for a really long time. It's not like you need to wake up in, tomorrow morning and be like, I love this now. But like, you should find a way to enjoy it. Um, it's envisioning what your life is going to look like in 10 years is very important what you want it to look like because mm. if you don't know where you're going you're not going to know how to get there it seems like a very obvious statement but a lot of people don't think like that i think that people feel like admitting out loud in 10 years i want to be the star of a tv show like somehow they're going to get like struck down by lightning or people are going right. to punch them for hubris or something <laughs> But like, that's not how the world works. You have to be honest with yourself about what you want so you can work at getting there. Um, like, you know, and and keep it private. Like that, that can be a secret that you have. It doesn't mean you have to share it with everyone, but you need to know internally like what you want and what your goal is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because if you don't have like a fire under you, you're not yeah. gonna wanna do all these auditions, you right. know? Yeah. That's such an interesting because, uh, you know, there's like those two schools of thought. There's the people like don't jinx it, don't talk about it. And then there's people you have to manifest it. You have to put it out in the universe and see what comes back. Finding a balance of the two is yeah. so tricky, but I try to do the same. I'm like, I, you know, I'll tell like my boyfriend or my coach or whoever right. within five years, you know, by the time I'm like 32, 33, I want to be the next DA on Law and Order or, you right. know, businessy type like shows like Successions. Like, can we get a Latino version of that? And then I'll go yes. do that. One. <laughs> Being able to just like, know that's my end goal, not end goal, but that's like my next little milestone. Like it helps. Like you said, it's like, it helps keep me driven and motivated. And like, that's what I'm working toward. That's what I'm working toward. When you're just like the next role, it's like, it doesn't keep you as driven. Well, cause also if you don't know what the next role is leading to, like you're going to be burnt out. And also like, I actually don't like really totally believe in manifesting. I think of it more as like focus because I think mm. that the reason the word manifesting is a problem is because then people think when they're talking about their auditions and social media that they're manifesting. They think that when they're talking like to their friends at a bar at 2 a.m. about how they're going to be the next Brian Cranston, they're manifesting. I mean, that's not manifesting. That's you trying to hype yourself up. And a lot of times I understand the social media thing. I think especially people who move to New York are trying to send signal homes that like, I, it, I'm doing okay. I'm an actor. I'm killing it. Like, yeah. Yeah. But he, you know, <laughs> 
you don't really need to do that. Like that should be private. And yeah, like with you and your partner, your best friend, those are conversations that you can have, but it doesn't need to be out there for everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah you should be the next uh, Latino. Uh, I didn't watch Succession, so I don't know who to reference, but like <laughs> star on Succession and I'll be the next lesbian Brian Cranston on um, uh, Breaking Bad because I want to play a gangster <laughs> so bad. We need it. <laughs> we need it. Um, but yeah, I think that I forgot what I was saying, but yes, manifesting, but like more as a tool to keep your focus and your drive kind of thing. So obviously the show is called Actors with Issues. And my whole goal when I started it was initially um, to just check in with my fellow actors because I started it in May of 2020. So like at the height of the pandemic, I'm like, how are my people doing? Let's talk. Let's do a show. <laughs> and it just evolved into giving actors a platform to talk about issues that they face that other actors commonly face because we all go through so much of the same yet we also think we're all alone in this journey it's crazy we're so yeah. imbalanced aren't we um but yeah so like what issues have you struggled with that you're comfortable sharing that can be insightful for your fellow artists who are listening um i struggle with anxiety disorder um and i think that a lot of what you're told when you come out of acting school is to basically just man up and having, you know, mental health issues is not mean that you're weak or anything. And a lot of times it makes you a really hard worker because if you have to do that baseline work just to get around, if you're going to be an actor on top of it, like, yes, it is going to be extra work. But I think that you also will then, you might have an unparalleled work ethic when it comes to your craft. So don't always view it as a weakness. It can be a strength. Um, but it does mean that you have to spend a lot of time managing your mind and making sure that you're healthy. I think that so often as actors, we kind of put our lives on hold thinking, oh, I'll be happy when I get it. I'll be happy when I make it. I'll have a partner that I love when I make it. I'll move into the apartment that I like when I make it. I'll love myself when I make it. And I think that like that is ass backwards. And what's going to happen is you either won't get there or you will. And when you do, you're not going to you're not going to like yourself when you get there. So it's about like loving yourself now and taking care of yourself, whatever that means. And I think standing up for yourself is important. I think we're told a lot that we're disposable in this business. And if you mm. think of yourself as disposable, people will treat you that way, but you're not. And you're allowed to say no to things. You're allowed to say no to agents. You're allowed to say no to parts. The more you do that, I think that saying no is really powerful. And the more you do that, you're going to draw towards yourself the kind of future that you want. It doesn't mean that you'll be like canceled or whatever, you know, really? you're going to be able to have the future that you really desire. The whole thing about like the power the, and the law of attraction, like if you treat yourself as like indisposable, like you said, like that's going to just be how the energy, you know, as hoity-toity as it sounds like the energy around you is going to treat you. You'll end up, you know, it's like you're speaking that into existence. And it is just as important to stand out as it is to blend in. It's again, a really weird balance because like you said, I hate the term type and people are like, what's your type? I know, I know a coach who instead uses the term essence because in essence, okay. it's like a light flavoring. Like what's your essence? What do, what do we yeah. get from you? Like at first glance, what do we get? Well, so essence speaks to who you are and mm -hmm. it's like the flavor of who you are yes. type is like walking into a box you right. know those are two different things absolutely i like that a lot yeah. and one of your upcoming projects is a feature film called all's well um mm -hmm. so what can you share about that i'm sure certain things are still under wraps but yeah um i can say that i play nina 
who's um, a young girl. And a lot of my scenes are with Elizabeth Rodriguez, who shout out to Elizabeth. She's amazing. She was in Orange is the New Black for people who need mm-hmm. reference to who that is. Uh, this is her baby and she wrote and produced it and all this stuff. And she saw me in Mare and ca- cast me after she binge watched the show. No uh, so I spent with her and it was so much fun. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know where it's going quite yet, but keep an eye out for it. It's called All's Well. That's awesome that she saw you and was like, who are her reps? IMDb Pro. Who is she, who is this? <laughs> they had already cast somebody else, actually, or they had they were about to send the offer email. Wow. Um, and she watched the show and was like, no, we need to we need to make a, a recast. Um, yeah, because uh, she wanted somebody who uh, could play really gritty and really vulnerable at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, you know, a, a little bit of Brianna. And then she also watched the deuce that so she was like, okay, so based on these two roles, I can see how, you know, that's yeah. possible here. It's there's something that you mentioned in, in, um, in our emails back and forth that wasn't mentioned in our interview yet. And that sort of just comes through to what you said, consistency in your work ethic wins the race. And yeah. it's also like, um, in one of my favorite sort of acting books is by um, Jenna Fisher, who played Pam on The Office. Her book, I have the book. It's, I feel like everyone does. It's such a great <laughs> book. Um, but what she talks about is like create a consistent body of work so that not just casting directors can be like, oh, well, they were great on this show in a similar part. Let's give them this one. Let's call them in. Like She saw you on two different shows and was like, oh, that's that's our girl. That's who we need. And it just, again, goes to speak about like the quality of your work and I don't mean to like fluff up, you know, but (laughs) it's just, I, when I see a good, (laughs) there we go. When I see a good actor, (laughs) I got to point it out. So yeah, again, great show and, and incredible role. I can't wait to see what you do next. Um, We're going to wrap up with our final game uh, called now that we know you, since we've gotten to chat for the last half hour, Um, these Ah. are not rapid fire. So don't worry about, (laughs) about that. Um, But just some open-ended questions and we'll start with uh, fill in the blank. If I weren't in the arts, I'd be dead. <laughs> That's my answer. <laughs> really? Okay, it makes me feel better. I was like, people are gonna think I'm so morbid. Uh, yeah, because like you said, all arts. So like, right. no, maybe history professor. I like history. Oh my god, I have so or much coming. Philosophy. That's what I would do because that kind of still artistic. I would be. I would teach philosophy. Uh, would you rather star in a hit sitcom for 100 episodes or a three-part film franchise? Ooh. We, if we're, when we're saying sitcom, we mean something with a laugh track, right? We're not talking like co- just comedy in general. It's like a sitcom. Um, and that we'll make a, it a general comedy. Like The Office is considered a sitcom. It is considered a sitcom? Okay, I then I would so. do the comedy. Yeah, 100 episodes or 1,000, how many ever you said. <laughs> 1,000 episodes, can <laughs> you imagine? Uh, what is a world issue that you think more people should care about? Oh, my God. Oh, so many things. Trans rights. I'll go with that one. Uh, what is something you wish you had more time to do? I feel like I have a lot of time. I don't use it very well. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no. Um, if I was using my time better, I would say uh, I like to draw cartoons. So mm. I would make cartoons. Uh, what's the best advice you ever got? Uh, my mom always told me you have to be an unemployed to become president, which means that um, sometimes you have to believe enough that you're going to get the big thing and let the little things pass you by. So you have time and energy for the bigger thing. Huh. That makes sense. And what's the worst advice you ever got? Um, <laughs> stay in the closet, lose 50 pounds, dye your hair blonde. Oh God. <laughs> oh boy. 
Uh, who would you trade places with for one day? Oh my God, that's so hard. I'm not sure. That's too hard. Uh, wait, okay. Nick Hornby, who's a writer, or one of the cast of The L Word? <laughs> uh, all right, next question. Uh, you're on a desert island. Somehow there's a working TV and DVD player. What three movies are you praying are there? Your- Eternal Sunshine of the Hot... Little, little, little. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I Heart Huckabees. And... Le Grand Soir by Albert Camus. Uh, not Albert Camus. Uh, Albert Dupontel. And uh, what is the, what was your biggest takeaway of the pandemic? You can still make things happen even when nothing's happening. I love that. And lastly, in 10 words or less, what advice would you give to a young actor? I don't know if this is 10 words. Work hard, be true to yourself. Mackenzie, thank you so much for joining us on Actors with Issues. Uh, it was a pleasure talking with you. Uh, where can people find you on social media if they want to give you a follow? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, my first and last name, Mackenzie Lansing, um, and my website, MackenzieLansing.com. I'm also an acting uh, coach, so you can look out for that if that's something that you're interested in. She knows what she's doing, folks. <laughs> And you can all follow us on Instagram, Actors with Issues. Give me a follow at Juaniala Official. And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you're listening and catch new episodes on a new release day every Monday. I'm Juaniala. That's Mackenzie Lansing. This is Actors with Issues, and we'll see you next week.